In our community, a woman basically has one purpose, to follow her husband and to be a baby-making machine. Marriage was prison. I hated being married. But I have no education. I have no way to support myself. How do I leave? Right after I got married, my mom decided she no longer wanted to be religious at all. And that was really challenging for me because I was brought up one way and she was basically saying, I don't believe in any of that. I'm going. But to start off, I want to explain this is not so much a critical review or critique of what the characters went through in my unorthodox life. I totally sympathize with some of the experiences they had or things that they had been told. And I think it's so important to differentiate between somebody's emotional or traumatic experience and true Judaism. The playground can be a place where someone gets traumatized, but for most people, it's a very happy place. It's really hard to imagine that just a few years ago, I was living in an extreme ultra-Orthodox Jewish community called Yeshiva Shehaimisha for my entire life until the time I was 40. There are a lot of Jews who live perfectly regular lives. It has nothing to do with Judaism or religion. This has to do with fundamentalism. I love being Jewish, but I do believe whether it's Jewish fundamentalism, Muslim fundamentalism, Christian fundamentalism, it is so dangerous. So Judaism truly is a beautiful lifestyle. It's the art of living in moderation. We embrace all of life's pleasures. We get married, we drink alcohol, we listen to music, we eat meat. In fact, all of the things I've just stated are commandments to do. One of the most important principles in Judaism is free will. So no one can force you to do anything. God beseeches us to use our free will in the right way, to choose to have a relationship with Him, to allow Him the opportunity to bestow unlimited blessings on us. Like every parent wants to give their child, if you want and you think it's worthwhile to invest in having an eternal relationship with your Creator, the source of all pleasure, knowledge, wisdom, kindness, if you think that is something that is worthwhile investing, then you would choose to emulate God in all of your ways. When you eat, when you sleep, when you drink, when you engage in intimacy, you will choose to emulate God if that is worthwhile for you. For Jewish people, that is done through keeping the Torah, the five books of Moses, and all the non-Jewish nations, that's done through keeping the seven laws of Noah. And anyone who keeps seven laws of Noah will have a special place in heaven, right next to their Jewish neighbor if he kept his laws. Okay, babe. Just have an open mind. <laughs> what are you wearing? This is what I want to wear. I got used to you not covering the hair. Like, pants. I said I really don't feel comfortable I know. with it. Um, Why do you care about pants? I don't think that the modest dressing is important. We're in New York City, nobody gives. It doesn't matter. The only people that I think that you care about is your family. I think it you is. care. Okay, okay but I don't still, care I, if my parents know. That's the, that's not how you but, live your life. Your mother, <laughs> Whilst it's true, we're in the 21st century, and the date and the times have changed, the human psyche hasn't. With the advancements of technology and secularization, the worldly temptations have only increased and worsened. It is irrelevant what the world outside is doing. They are not commanded in the laws of modesty. It's not one of the seven laws of Noah, and it's not how they connect to their creator. The Jewish people are instructed to be a nation of priests, a holy nation, and a light upon the nations. Would you want your local rabbi, priest, or imam to dress provocatively go clubbing on the weekends with girls and act in a spiritually decadent way? 
God acted with tremendous restraint when he withdrew his all-consuming and blinding light to create the space for us to exist. We need to mirror God by acting with restraint and discipline to allow the space for him in our lives. That's not what this is. It's not but it a... is. Where do pants come from? It's that a woman's it's legs correct. are too shapely this... and a man's going to think bad thoughts about her. That's where it comes from. A man should learn to grow up and control himself and a woman should wear whatever she wants. So it's super important that we dispel this widely held misconception that somehow the laws of modesty are there to protect men from their deficiencies and shortcomings and the notion that men dictated these laws and imposed them on the women. The laws of modesty per se have absolutely nothing to do with men. Even if all the men in the world cease to exist or if a woman found herself alone in her bedroom, the laws of modesty would equally apply because they're about inviting God into your life and creating space for God to feel comfortable to be around you. In the same way that everybody would dress appropriately if they were going to Buckingham Palace to visit the Queen, why would we imagine that we should treat God with any less respect? If any of your body parts were uncovered, there is a very special form of hell that is reserved for both you and your mother. In this hell, your mother would dip your clothes in acid put them on your body and so throughout the day your body would decompose from the acid and then the next morning it would start all over again for thousands of years or however many years it'll last. Where does the notion of burning come from? So the answer is there is a source for it, the idea of burning and it is a commonly used metaphor throughout Jewish literature for shame and embarrassment. The burning shame and burning embarrassment. It dates all the way back to the story of Yehuda, Judah and Tamar. Tamar was willing to jump into the burning furnace not to embarrass publicly Yehuda. They had had an affair together and she didn't want to embarrass him so she was willing to jump into the burning furnace. So you see, it's preferable to jump to burning furnace because that type of pain is, is less than what you cause someone to embarrass them. So, so embarrassing someone, it can be equated with burning. We find many times that when you're in, in the Jewish literature, if you embarrass someone, it's like you kill them, etc., etc. The embarrassing shame is such a powerful sensation, um, the burning shame, that it's like you killed someone. In a spiritual world where there's no physical proximity, there's no closeness in a physical sense, because there's no time and space, the Kabbalists explain the way you become close to someone or something is by being similar to them. The more you're similar to something, the closer you are in the spiritual world. The more that we emulate God's ways in our lifetime, then when our soul departs and goes back to God, the closer it can be to God who is the source of all pleasure. However, the less that we have emulated God and acted in a God-like fashion through our lifetime, the further away, the less similar we will be to God. That is heaven and hell, because God is the source of all pleasure. So the closer you are, the more in heaven you are. But if you are very, very distant from God, you are very dissimilar to Him, so in a spiritual sense, you're far from Him, that is hell. When we talk about hell being shame, you might think, well, that's not so bad. But it is, and I'll tell you why. The real you that lasts eternally is your soul. So think of your body. Most, if not all, your body can, God forbid, be amputated if, if necessary, or replaced. The soul contains all your information, so your creativity, your emotions, your memories, your character traits, all your experiences, they're all contained in the soul. They live on forever. That body information lives on forever. Now, when the soul is in the body, 
the, the soul is limited to the way the body can experience the information. So for example, 95% of the brain's function is to shut down thoughts so that you don't think of everything at once. If you thought of all your memories at once, if you thought of all your experiences at once, then you go mad. So the body, the brain is working constantly to, to limit one thought at a time, one thought at a time. And if you do something wrong, the brain rationalizes it, right? It rationalizes, oh, it's okay, it justifies it, and then eventually it forgets. But imagine when the soul that contains all of that information goes up to God, and God, in God, everything is there, right? Because nothing exists outside of God. So all the other souls that ever lived, parents, grandparents, friends, they all exist, they're all there. All that memory is there, nothing is lost. And think of it as like a giant, never-ending internet. Right? So when you come up, your soul comes up with all your information and suddenly there is nowhere to hide. You can't just be like, oh, it's okay, uh, rationalize, justify, because it's like a ball with a valve. The, the valve keeps the air in the ball. Once the valve is gone, all the air comes out. So now you're standing naked, literally in front of everybody, and everyone who ever lived can see all of your actions throughout your lifetime. And the embarrassment and shame when there's nowhere to go and nowhere to run and nowhere to hide, standing before God is the type of embarrassment that is, that is metaphorically 60 times hotter than the sun. That's where the notion of shame comes from. I remember in school, I was taught that men are better than women. Yeah. Guys are just better than girls. That's just how it is, you know? And I think that mindset's a little crazy. Well, we said it every well, morning from the time you were a baby. What do you say? Thank you, God, for not making me a woman. Thank you very much. So this idea that men are superior to women is very much misrepresented and completely not true. Um, it just comes from a total place of ignorance. Uh, I'm not judging anybody, I'm just putting the facts out there. So it's true that we make a blessing, that is true, but, but so do women. So let's, let's go back to basics. Men make a blessing and women make a blessing every morning because they're being grateful to God for getting an opportunity to have a relationship with him. So the women say, blessed are you God, King of the, of the world, that created me according to your will. And men, on the other hand, say, blessed are you God, King of the world, that didn't create me a woman. So the basic, most important underlying principle and theme of the universal life code that Judaism gives the world is to emulate God. God is kind. God is charitable, God is slow to anger, quick to forgive, etc, etc, etc. Emulate God's character traits. Now, God, one of the most inherent and fundamental traits of God is that He's a creator and that He's a giver. And therefore, the more that you are a giver and a creator, the more similar you are to God. And the more you are a taker and an indulger, the more distant you are to God. With that in mind, women are automatically born inherently as creators, they have children, and as givers because then they have to give and nurture those children that they create, that give birth to. Therefore, women can say, thank you God for creating me according to your will because they possess God's innate character traits, whereas men have to really work hard to try and emulate God and come closer to Him. But you've got girlfriends. <laughs> yes, I you know. do. I said bye-bye. You said bye-bye? Really? Why? I also stopped watching TV. What? When? Cam. How serious are you about this? Or you're fine? Very serious. Very serious? How come? What made you decide? It's a distraction. It's a distraction it. from what? Just 
brings bag me to some people. So can you have a girlfriend who's not a girlfriend? Well, you really shouldn't talk to girls because then you might fall attracted to her and then you might touch her. And so don't be around women because you will sin. You might sin. Right. My job as a parent is to make sure you have all the options available to you. And if after you have all the options, you still want to choose that way of life, then I will respect you. At 14 years of age, you may not think you sound like a closed-minded person, but I promise you, I sound like a Jewish do. person. No, right. Through the use of our reproductive organ, we have the ability to experience the deepest levels of connection, pleasure, and creativity. It is the one area of our life that we have the potential to most emulate God by becoming givers and creators. When we emulate God by becoming givers, we become similar to him. But if we become takers, we are the opposite to God. We are far away from God. So in the ability that we have to procreate and to give and to have the deepest levels of connection, we want to make sure that in this one area, we are most godlike, that we our actions resemble and emulate God in the most possible way so we can be givers. If we stray from that ideal and use this deep, powerful tool of connection to pursue our own personal pleasures, indulgences, shallow and superficial encounters, then we become takers and we become the opposite to God. Hey, Mayor. How's it going? What's up? Where are you at? Walking home, so, you know, it's almost Chavez. Wait, wait, are you coming to hang out with me and Cody? Nah, just gonna call it a night. Okay. Love you. Love you. I'm coming Bye. Yeah, Chavez. Bye. I think Miriam wants me to break Chavez because she looks at religion as it's outdated. She doesn't like anything that holds you back. For me... I love the idea of, you know, taking a day off the week to really just focus on what's important in life. <clears throat> Even if I feel like I decide to not be religious, I don't think I'll ever fully give Shabbos up. I still would want to, you know, celebrate our tradition. Every Saturday, we observe a day of rest in order to commemorate the fact that God took us out of Egypt. All work is forbidden and we use a day to strengthen our faith and reconnect to God. But how should our rest look like? Surely it is easier to drive to the synagogue in the burning heat, pouring rain or freezing cold snow. So why is it forbidden to drive? Why is it okay for us to reassemble our entire dining room for a Shabbos bar mitzvah lunch moving heavy furniture, but it is forbidden to pluck a rose, fry an egg, or light a match. So the underlying principle to explain the laws of work versus rest is explained by the Kabbalists as follows. How can we ever truly emulate God if He is in a constant state of peace, serenity, and perfection, whereas we are continuously evolving and changing? So God says, I relinquished my mastery over the world on the seventh day when I rested from the six days of creation. You can emulate me by relinquishing your control and mastery over the world. Therefore, work is anything that interferes with the state of peace between man and nature. Anything that involves changing nature or exercising our mastery over the world is forbidden. Things such as frying an egg, plucking a rose, or lighting a match are all forbidden. In order 
to mirror God's constant state of peace and serenity. Through this beautiful gift of Shabbos, we are able to reconnect to ourselves and become who we truly are in our essence. We are no longer defined by our professions. We are no longer doctors, lawyers, accountants or teachers. But we now are who we really are, who we are in our soul. Are we kind, loving, caring, sharing? We can check in and contemplate if our lives are going in the right direction. Are our goals and objectives focused on the bigger picture? Are we refining our character and becoming better people? Ensuring that every Shabbos we are more Godlike than the previous Shabbos. For that is our underlying objective in this world. That is what Shabbos is all about. Sure.